long December and there's reason to believe maybe Tools Day is back again at last. We had some guest shows and new tools that we tried and then reviewed. Oh, they came and went so fast. And it's one more intro, you know, singing. And it's one more day we're counting down. Our favorite tools from 2016. They compound. Na 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 na. Welcome to Tools Day. It's a new year. Woo! I have no idea what song that was. Uh, that was the um, "A Long December" by the Counting Crows. Oh, I, I'm probably yeah. betraying my lack of culture right now. Uh, so let's just keep moving on. <laughs> 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 anyway, welcome to Tools Day. It is a podcast about tech tools, tips, and tricks. We try to release it on Tuesdays at 2 o'clock. If you're new to the show, welcome. I am your co-host, Yuna. And I'm Chris. And today we are talking about our uh, top tech tools from 2016. 16. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. So we just want to do a little review show about um, some tools that we love, some tools that we discovered last year and started to use. Um, yeah, so I think we have four each. Yep. Cool. And um, yeah, let's just, let's kick it off. Actually, before we kick it off, um, I have a challenge for you, Chris. Oh, God. This is not planned. I'm just bringing it on him. Okay, good. So before we talk about our favorite tools, I keep seeing these YouTube videos that are like, tools that we need to ban in 2016, like leave in 2016, uh, trends that we need to or whatever. Okay. Um, this is really popular among like the makeup crowd on YouTube because oh. I watch a lot of makeup videos now. Yeah, me, me too. I... Me too. <laughs> uh... You should. It's very informative. <laughs> I feel like it's super interesting. Anyway, so a lot of these like awesome beauty gurus on YouTube are doing these videos like, what should we leave in 2016 and not bring into 2017? So when it comes to tech tools, what should we leave in 2016 and not bring into 2017? Uh, what should we leave in 2016? Um, this is a tough question. I love my tools. They are very dear and precious to me. Or like anything in the deaf Um, community. Uh, one thing, um, oh, wow, wow. This is just stumping me. So, you know, I have a, I have this thing now where I, 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 don't like it when people actually use boilerplates as is as the base of their application. Why? Uh, so here's here's what happens sometimes. So I I love to learn with boilerplates, but I think it's so crucial that people uh, take it and then rebuild it from scratch. Because what happens is that I find that when I'm reviewing code sometimes and I'm looking through things, I find that people have tossed in a whole bunch of things. They don't actually know what they do. And then they kind of ship it. And then later on, I'm like, wait, wait, why is any of this here? And this and is because huge... people just tossed it in. Um, so maybe, so maybe um, I love tools, but maybe a judicious use of tools needs to be applied sometimes. Well, when it comes to boilerplates, I feel like they could be really useful. And specifically, um, we're seeing less boilerplates now. We're seeing more uh, CLI tools by frameworks. Right. that are being shipped as, like, here's the React CLI tool right. or Ember CLI tool. Um, so how do you feel about those? I do love those. Um, 
So you're but, saying like don't just copy someone else's boilerplate. But, but go ahead. And use, use the official. <laughs> use the official. No, it's, what, <laughs> what happens with like 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 create React app is a very slim um, boilerplate, right? It, it has Webpack, it has Jest, and and has and React, right? It's it's very stripped down. It doesn't have very much to it, and um, there's a certain confidence that when I create an application with create React app, I'm creating a application that's it, it has everything. It, it, it's not adding a whole bunch of stuff to this um, thing that I'm making um, that I don't know what's happening. And so, I, man, I, I do like maybe maybe I maybe I need to backtrack on this. Wow, ah, I get what I, you're saying. Like, there's ah. a lesson there, and don't overuse. I, I think it's it's maybe not maybe boilerplate is a bad example, but it's just more of a you know. Um, when you add, make sure when you add things in, you know what they do, and it's a purposeful addition as opposed to just, you know, oh, I want to add in this small, um, I want to add in this functionality, and I'm bringing in this big library, right? Um, so it's kind of like leave the uh, boilerplates, like the Yeoman boilerplates, and bring on the CLIs that are produced by the manufacturers of the framework. I mean, that, that, that feels like a, no, I, I feel like I'm not, I'm not a, ah, oh, man. Ugh. Going back and forth. Ugh, nah, <laughs> I'm waffling. What about you? What's what's your um, uh, leave in 2016? I I feel like leave Angular in 2016. There we go. Got it. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> um, I so my leave in 2016 is probably. I'm really tired of, I know this isn't going to be left in 2016, it's just going to be proliferated more in 2017, but all of these frameworks that don't have any kind of um, experience if you don't have JavaScript, and I know that people are like, oh, that's silly, everything has JavaScript nowadays, but I think that's not true. I feel like there's this big offline push, there's got to be some like browser-native way to understand what your site's about if your user doesn't have like a perfect setup that you're expecting them to. Um, I think that we're still finding a lot of these developers using the latest MacBooks to develop, and they don't really have that kind of empathy for their real-life users that they should be having, so they just build on these frameworks. You know, so. I actually have a, a, you know, I, I, I remember like a couple months ago, maybe two months ago, there was this post that came out that drew a bunch of controversy on Twitter sphere, where um, some guy posted, you know, the progressive enhancement people are wrong, and here's why. Um, and it was this long article, and I saw a whole bunch of the uh, dev illuminaries come out against it. Um, but it, it went. It, it, it's it boiled. It was boiled down to saying, um, "Build for your target user." Um, and if your I think target you limit user. Yourself. If you have this idea of who your target user is and it's a limited amount of people, then you as a company or you as a business unit, you as a developer are limiting yourself to a smaller group than you expect. Well, so here's my my view of that. Is it was, it's like I limit my user base to IE 10 and above, right? Um, there are a lot of people, especially in the finance and government world, who are in IE 8 and 9, uh, but I'm not developing for them. And a lot but of those, those people a lot probably of them, also have other systems they're using. Like they might be using IE8 for their business computer, right. but they are probably not using IE8 for their personal computer. But, but it's possible that that their that the income I would make is based on IE8 or something, right? Or if if I sold to their company, it'd be an IE8 or IE9 user. 
You should at least have data. You should at least have an accessible website for every single user. That's how, like, that's my personal thought. I feel yeah. like if I, they're not eight, you should still be able to understand what your site is about. Right, but I, I would say that a lot of sites these days, especially if you build for, like, you know, Bluemix is IE11 and above, and a lot of modern apps are IE11 and above, and they build a layout in Flexbox, right? Um, in IE8, it's going to look like nothing. Or I, I don't There's know. There's a difference between right? what it looks like and having semantic content that is parsed by a browser that can appear on your page and that is legible I mean, to a user. It, it'll have Even content, it but it won't, it won't be legible because it may be, like, you may have designed your layout in a certain way and it's instead just one big blah. Uh, I don't know. I, I think this is a... This is a I, I think you're... I'm not, I'm, so I'm not trying to say that you should not build accessible applications. I, I, I obviously think you should build accessible applications. Um, it's one of those things that I think it's a, it's a tougher tougher thing to implement sometimes when you have like limited dev hours, limited time. How do I build an application that works, that brings my company revenue, and um, lets me build a foundation to keep on building, right? Uh, I totally get what you're saying, but I feel like people are complicating things for themselves. They're adding these additional web frameworks that they don't need probably. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's creating a problem on the web that, like, I feel like this is very akin to Flash, how people were creating Flash websites that were um, very much tied to this ecosystem that then someone just decided, okay, I don't want to have Flash on my phone anymore. Right, <laughs> you know? yeah. And it, it was dead. Like, you couldn't access these websites if you didn't have the latest, like, um, what what what's the uh, company that owns Flash? Adobe? Yeah. It was Macromedia, like Adobe. maybe? Macromedia. Like, you <laughs> hey. had to have, like, the latest install. <laughs> and I remember on my dad's computer, he, didn't, he never installs anything new. Yeah. Like he still has Firefox from like four years ago. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> but he would never let me install. I could not access websites. And today, even today, when I tried to use my parents' computer, um, I could not access. Like, it was some website that I use all the time on my own computer. I don't remember which one it was. Um, like a very basic thing. So. I get what you're saying. I'm going to be using more frameworks next year, so I'm breaking my own like thought process rule of this yeah. thing. But as a community, I don't want us to move towards that direction. I might only be using frameworks because they're the best solution right now because everyone is so focused on them. Um, and I think that there's so much we need to kind of reel back and think about the basis of what is the web, what Tim Berners-Lee gave us, like what is HTML, what is this basic building block that we need to like kind of revisit yeah so i think that, that actually goes hand in hand with, with what i was saying earlier actually which is make sure you know what you're adding into your application why are you picking react why are you picking view why are you picking whatever you're picking um and um make sure you, you have a reason for it so um yeah sometimes that reason is it's easy to set up <laughs> i mean which is a perfectly valid reason I, I i think sometimes we say you know we need to focus on the user first and foremost which is which is true but having in a, having an environment that lets you develop quickly is also important um and especially when you start building larger applications with many different people jumping into a team um, having a you know solid developer environment enables the application to be built in the first place so yeah anyway so we kind of agree like leave the craft in 2016 and streamline your apps 2017 so yep. that's always a good goal yep all right so let's get to the actual show okay. <laughs> which is our favorite tools that we discovered in 2016 and 
Chris, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So my first tool is React Storybook, um, which, you know, which I came across. I have um, no idea what that is. Oh, well, you know, let me let me tell you a story. Tell me a story. About <laughs> the storybook. Okay, so, you know, I, I build a component library or a design system at my job. I think we've mentioned this many times this, by this point. And, you know, early in 2016, we just had a vanilla version of the library. And I had stood up this really crummy server to, uh, to help to develop on more or less like it, w- it would serve up the individual HTML file and then we had uh, browser sync running in the background to kind of refresh the page while we added CSS and JavaScript and it was just it, it was a it, it, and unfortunately it's still that way for our vanilla library but it's it wasn't the most optimized workflow to building a component library um, about halfway through the year, um, we decided to build a React version of the library as well. And I was looking into ways to make this developer environment a more streamlined thing. Um, and uh, I found React Storybook. And what it is is that it uh, is basically a environment that lets you build components. It kind of builds a sidebar on the left-hand side. And you can um, create a React component and then create a React component story, which is basically just you use the component in this format, and then it builds this sandbox environment for you to kind of play around with. And so it enables you to kind of hop between different components. You can kind of compose them together. You um, can filter them so you can select the ones you're working on. And it's, it's basically just a, it's this really nice playground to build components in. So it's a um, GUI? I'm a little confused. It's a node application. Um, um, it's a that node app. That was a- the most vague response. Sorry, uh, sorry. That, that was it's. That was that was the big response. Sorry. Um, the way the way it describes itself is it says it's a UI development environment for your React components, and so um, some of this is maybe helped by looking at the GIF they have. It's this wonderful little GIF um, because it's like a website for your components. But locally. Okay, I that will made take zero that. sense whatsoever. <laughs> it's get it's getstorybook.io. It's actually a really cute website. It's adorable, really. Um, okay, so they have this component. I hate the CSS style, though. Okay. That, well, uh, you don't have to use the CSS style. It's just a example. <laughs> um, the React but, CSS style. Uh, but. Well, JSX. Yeah. Oh, it just. Oh. Okay. Well, but most importantly is that it, it just gives you this this sandbox environment to build components in. Oh, cool. Um, so it's kind of like um, CodePen ish. Uh, it's like Sassmeister where it gives you a visualization. Yeah. And you so, can hook it up to your personal code base. Right. More or less. That's really cool. Okay, um, I get it now. And when you start, you know, having a lot of components in a component library, having this kind of visualization makes it a lot easier to kind of manage them all. And there's a great plugin system. And so we have developer documentation, um, you know, some UI, uh, some UX information, um, as well as the actual React, you know, all our components in there in, in the same place. And it's gotten such great reviews from people who are using our React library. Um, so this lets ha- you spin up a documentation site as well as test your components. It's kind of like live docs, but yeah. with React. Absolutely, that's a much better explanation of what I was saying. <laughs> Don't worry, I got you. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's it's wonderful and it's amazing. And I 
I'm planning to build a version of the same thing, but for up in the library sometime this year because it's been so useful for us. Um, but cool. Yeah, do it. That's my that's my first tool of the year, our 2016. Nice. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do mine. Um, so for me, a big thing happened where I switched my code editor for the first time since like 2011. Okay. <laughs> I have been using Sublime Text for such a long time, um, but I recently tried VS Code and I loved it. Even more recently, I've been kind of on the Atom train. No, no, stop it, stop it, no. I like Atom a lot. No, you don't. You, you don't really like nice. Atom. Just, just, just mutter there are yourself. things I like about both. Honestly, okay. I'm, I'm right. using both right now. Okay. I'm literally <laughs> using two different <laughs> So I feel um, like I, I've influenced say, some of this. I feel great about this, really. Honestly, VS Code was all you, bro. I love it. Um, Adam, I just hated... I, no, I didn't hate it. I didn't like the first version of Adam because it was slow and buggy. Oh, so slow. But they have come a long, long way in a year and a half. So I'm all about Adam now. Adam fangirl. VS Code fangirl. Y'all do your thing. Open source frameworks. I mean, open source code editors for the win. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm clumping those together. Oh, is it VS Code and Adam? You're, you're, yes. you're, okay, great. That, that <laughs> so, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> um, okay, uh, my next tool is, is also a two for one. Um, uh, the first part of it is just Babel, you know, uh, and this is not only a 2016 thing for me, it was a 2015 and 2016 thing, but Babel and Babel Stage 1 really um, became a huge part of my workflow um, in 2016. So Stage 1 is, so um, it corresponds to Stage 1 spec, in the JavaScript uh, language. And so if you look at the draft, there's the stage zero, stage one, stage two, and then stage three, I think, is the official um, current version of ES 2015 or 2016 or 2017, whatever year we're on now. Um, and this had become a really useful thing for me, except, um, you know, I was talking to a bunch of people, and they're like, oh, what if something breaks? Should we actually use stage one in our production code. And I was like, ah, oh, man, you're right. Maybe this is kind of, maybe kind of dumb of me. Um, but then recently I found something called Babel Preset ENV. Uh, this is maybe more of a 2017 thing, in fact, but... Oh, I'll um, do 2017 one then next uh, year. But, but it's, it's, it's brand new, and it's basically um, auto-prefixer for JavaScript. And so instead of saying... I want this preset, I want this plugin, I want this transform and Babel. You just say, um, I want to target the last two versions of a browser. Uh, I want to target you know, this browser, that browser. And then Babel preset ENV will process your JavaScript and figure out which plugins and presets it needs specifically and only transform those. Nice. Um, Isn't there a Webpack thing that does that um, when you... I know that I've used this with... Post CSS specifically with auto prefixer. Yes, and it lets you target what browser versions you want. I think it was through Webpack. Uh, that is just that's Post CSS and auto prefixer. It just kind of works that way. Yeah, that, that's the Post CSS plugin. Um, so now, so what now Babel is a... allowing you to do is use that for JavaScript precompiling. Yes, exactly. Um, that's so super nice. You know, it was one of those things that we would always have to like help people figure out. You know, oh, which which stage are you on? Which which plugins are you using? Now we just say. Just use this Babel preset ENV. We're targeting these browsers because this is our browser matrix, and you're done. And it's really cool, really simple, and I'm a big fan. 
So that kind of ties into our previous conversation about, like, yes, if you don't include this feature, then you are supporting more browsers. However, you are producing a much larger code base. So give and takes. Yeah, that's fair. But it is super nice that yep. you do that. Because every company does or should at least have their browser matrix. Yep. Um, okay, so because you said one that was, like, more recent... Um, I have a couple others, but I discovered this tool literally today, and okay. <laughs> I am just dying about it. Like, oh my gosh, I, I added it to my list like right now. Um, <laughs> so what I did today is I had a meeting with another coworker to consolidate our stylent across all of DigitalOcean's projects, basically. Um, so we're using the same linter for our SaaS style to kind of help smooth out the way that we write code as a company. Um, and so we edited the current style that I have on a project that I'm working on. It's a really big code base. And holy moly, look, I'm being good. I'm preventing myself from cursing. <laughs> holy moly, like fire truck. Oh my gosh, there were so many errors, Uh-oh. hundreds and hundreds of errors. And I would have had to go through them by hand manually. But I found this thing called Stylent Format. It's Stylent FMT. Oh, the heavens opened up and it allowed me to automatically update that file based on the stylent configuration in each of the CSS files that we have, like the SAS files that we have. So now instead of going through it manually updating every single error, I can just run a command inside of like Adam on the files and it does it for most of it. Not all of it, most of it. Oh my gosh, style format was a dream today. <laughs> stylent format. That's super awesome. I'm going to... Piggyback off that, this is not one of my four, but um, ESLint has a dash dash fix option as well. So if in your JavaScript you've, you know, you're trying to convert a one of your JavaScript files over to your new style guide or, or ESLint standards, um, ESLint can actually fix most of the errors for you with a with this with this command. So that's awesome. I like to see it though too. Um, I, this thing also, I think, is CLI version. There is CLI version of it, but I like the Atom plugin. There's also a VS Code plugin. Yep. Because um, that way you could see the changes and make updates if not all of them are updated or for, for any reason. Yep. Um, there's a ESLint, uh, uh, there's a VS Code plugin for uh, ESLint as well for the fix thing. So, uh, so nice. You don't have to do this manually. There are tools. We love tools. We love tools. Like mine, I, mine runs whenever I press save, and so like I'll like be typing, I'll forget a semicolon, I'll add some spaces that are wrong, and I just save it, and it's like, oh, it's all, it's all fixed. This is wonderful. I had a thing like that before, but now I have my style that alert me if something is wrong, which is alert. fine when you're writing code, but when you're refactoring a code base, oh yeah, my gosh, you need these tools. So nice. Um, okay, so my next tool uh, that I uh, found in 2016 is Jest. Um, and Jest is a testing framework. Um, like Mocha or Ava or Jasmine. Oh, we should do a testing show. Um, we did do one last year. A long time ago. A long ago. time I ago. I think it was one of the first shows yeah. we did. Um, and, you know, testing is one of those things that everyone has to do, but everyone kind of dreads doing. At least I dread doing. Maybe I shouldn't speak for everyone, but uh, I personally dread it because, it's, you know, you're like, oh, man, I, I wrote this component, and then I wrote this test, which took me twice as long as writing the component itself. And I'm so tired and angry that I'd write I this hate test. Tests. Um, and you know, I was using Mocha and Mocha Chai, and you kind of get used to it. But it's not. There's always these things you have to do, run around to get make it work for you. And 
Then I found Jest, and when I first found Jest, it was like two years ago, and I thought it was hot garbage. I was like, why would anyone ever use this 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 framework? And I never used it. And then um, Jest 14 came out, um, maybe 15, last year, um, around the middle of the year, and they revamped a whole bunch of things, they simplified a lot of things, and they made testing so straightforward that it kind of blew my mind. And so our React library is, is tested in, in, in Jest, and it's the first time that I have you know, almost enjoyed writing tests. Not, I wouldn't say enjoyed because I'm not, you know, a fiend, but uh, I, I didn't dread writing my tests. And so we used um, Jest along with a tool called Enzyme, which is Airbnb's kind of extension of Jest. Um, and so, yeah, that's been great. Jest has this really nifty thing called snapshot testing. Um, and it's when you just kind of want to make sure a component doesn't change unexpectedly. Um, and so what it does is that it runs once when you first run the test, and it generates more or less the output of what a component would be. And then whenever you run a test again, it creates a new snapshot and compares it to the old one. And if it's changed, the test fails, and you can go back and see why it failed. And it's a really easy way to see if something you know, changed without you know, knowing it. So... Sounds exactly like visual regression testing in Phantom JS. It's kind of like that, honestly. Um, and it's just really easy to do in Jest. So, nice. Um, That's probably like the new visual regression testing. Yeah. I might uh, bother you more about that because visual regression testing with Phantom took forever. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's so annoying to set up. So if Jest is easy, then I'm all about that because yeah. I'm doing, you know, component libraries are life. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so my next tool is not a dev tool per se, but it kind of is. It's called IA Writer, oh, and I, I discovered it. that last year. Yeah, I never used it before, um, but it is a dream to work with. Beautiful interface for writing Markdown that came out with a new version. Um, I really like the writing mode of it, and you can just swipe left and right to see your Markdown output, and I've been doing a lot of writing lately. Um but the thing I don't like about it is the navigation of the file system. Mm -hmm. So I still use a code editor, VS Code probably, to navigate the file system. Okay. Um, like just to see my entire outline of all the files that I have. Yeah. Um, which is a lot better of that like sidebar view than in the terminal. Right. And in IA Writer is just kind of all together. Um, but the writing in it is so nice and has all these like shortcuts for Markdown, and I really really enjoy writing with it. Yeah, I like how that one has that, you know, that focused view, right? Where it, it kind of just zooms you into what you're writing. And I appreciate I've that. I literally never used that. What? Before. Never? <laughs> no, but I do like to to use the just the center view where I hide the sidebars yeah. and just kind of write. That's fair. Um, and then I can just kind of peek over and see what it looks like in, in a converted markdown. It's really nice. I like it. I used to do this thing called National Novel Writers Month. It's called NaNoWriMo, I guess. And it's, you write 50,000, a 50,000-word 50, novel in the month of November. In a month? Yeah. And um, uh, I used to use IA Writer for that. But That's so many words. It was a lot of words. I used to be... For people who don't understand how many words that is, it takes about two and a half hours to read a 25,000-word book. So that's like a five-hour book that you're writing in a month. I used, I, I was a, in my past life, I was a liberal arts major, um, and all I did was, was write essays. Now I just write code. But, it's a rough life. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and, okay, so my last tool um, is Travis CI, 
and we had an episode about with this last year, middle of the year maybe, I think. Um, and I didn't really use it too much on my personal things until about halfway through the year, and suddenly it it dawned on me how amazing Travis CI is. And so what Travis CI is, it's a continuous integration tool, um, and so you can have it run on every you know PR or commit you have in your, in your Git repo. And it can do a variety of things like you know run a test um, or run linting or run whatever. And um, but what I really like about it is that how easily you can automate like your entire process. And so something I did recently was that, you know I automated our deploy process off of this. Right? Uh, we said run a test on every PR if the test you know if if the PR is merged to master passes the tests then deploy the website to two different environments. And, you know, before all this, I was kind of doing this manually. I was like, oh, I need to go and, you know, push it up to Bluemix and, you know, do all this stuff. And I, it would, I, would, I would, you know, make typos and it would just be a hassle uh, because it was all on me doing it and not on my team. And now it's just all done through Travis. None of us, you know, even think about it anymore. And it just works, and it's wonderful. Automation is... Travis is so nice. Like, CI yeah. systems are so important. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We should actually do a show on CI systems. Um, like, what we use at DO, we recently switched over to uh, using something called GoCD. And it is a dream. It is such a dream. So we use Drone for running tests as, like, our sort of CI testing system. Um, it runs through that. It takes forever, but... <laughs> Once tests pass, you can merge your pull request if you get thumbs up, whatever, and then it goes into this pipeline. So you could see every single change and how it was triggered in this pipeline and just watch it run through the tests on production and then just hit like deploy. And it's just magic. Oh, I really like GoCD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't realize how much these automated automation tools uh, save your life until you have it all set up and all just works wonderfully. And you're like, wow, I didn't realize I was spending so much time doing this, you know, routine, rote, mon- uh, monotonous work. Yeah, kind of like we do on Tools Day. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we have the worst deploy system. <laughs> we, we're not uh, going to talk about it. <laughs> uh, uh, oops. oops. We'll get to it. Yeah. Eventually. Yep. Um, okay, so like as always, we're, we're running like way over time, yep. but... I had so many things I wanted to say were my favorite tools. I'm just going to quickly, quickly talk about like some of the plugins to Chrome that I have used like frequently lately. Um, Axe is a great plugin for accessibility. Um, I really like the Pally dashboard as well. There's Wave plugin. These are all things I started doing this year because I've been doing a lot more accessibility work at DigitalOcean. Um, but also new to me this year, this is the tool I actually want to talk about, is I got a Kindle this year. Ooh. And more importantly... I don't really like read books often. I listen to a lot of books. I listened to 32 books last year. So I go through a lot of books. I consume content. I just don't physically read because I feel like I should be multitask. That sounded really weird. I'm just a weirdo <laughs> who, who needs to like be moving her hands. Um, so I didn't think I would use the Kindle that much because I don't like reading. But the Kindle is great because there's a little uh, Chrome extension called Send to Kindle that sends blog posts and other things to your Kindle so that you can read them offline. And so if I'm on a plane or I'm traveling or I'm like in the subway now that I live in New York, I could just read my blog posts. And blog posts are the one thing I do read. Like I just don't like reading books, but blog content you can't get in audio format most of the time. Um, So 
this Send to Kindle feature has allowed me to read so many more blog posts than I ever have before and having a Kindle. So like, ah, I just love that feature. It's so easy. You just hit Send to Kindle when you're on Wi-Fi. Your Kindle gets the content. It refreshes. So nice. I am attached to my Kindle so furiously. I love my Kindles. I have a Kindle Oasis. It's their super expensive one. I don't, I don't know why I bought it because beyond that I love having gadgets in my house. Um, but I, I don't think I could read books without my Kindle. Um, but yeah, well, four tools for each of us. Um, and some discussion about what we're leaving in 2016. Which is kind of. of. (laughs) Which is not actually real life. Not much. Dreams. (laughs) Dreams are dreams. Dreams. Don't let your dreams Uh, be memes. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to this week's Tools Day. Um, If you have any show ideas, tweet at us at Tools Day. You know how to spell it, hopefully, if you're here by now. T-O-O-L-S-D-A-Y. Rate us on iTunes or Overcast or any other podcast listener that you listen to this thing on. We're on the Google Play Store now. Yeah. As of In the U.S. In the U.S. only. Oh, in the U.S. only. Sorry. (laughs) But we are elsewhere for everyone else. Also, we are still looking for sponsors. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode, please contact us. Our DMs are open for that on Twitter. Um... Or I don't think we have our email on the internet. No, we don't. So Twitter at us. <laughs> Tweet us, maybe. We'll see you <laughs> next. <laughs> We're so awkward. Okay. My God. All right, cut, cut the feed. <laughs> we'll see you next week.